everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Podcast. It is officially week. Is it seven or eight now? I'm getting tripped up by our pre-show conversation here, Matt. The Jets are four and two. That makes it week seven. There we go. I've already slipped that in. Jets four and two, by the way. Just saying. Four and two. Four wins, two losses. But we are very excited here today, not just because of that, but also because we have a very special guest joining us, of course, as always, the Oracle himself, Matt Friedman, and joining us today, the Vice President of Research and Development for Sumer Sports, Eric Eager. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, the season's been, it's its flown by so far, uh, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, to get to chat some football with you guys. We're excited to have you too, but let's start off the bat talking about Sumer Sports. What what exactly is it that you guys are doing over there, and how is it that uh, that really you're trying to change up the NFL landscape? Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a very cool collection of people. Um, I have the the Sumer Sports Show with uh, former Falcons GM and, and CEO of, of Sumer Sports, Thomas Dimitrov. A little bit of a change up from my old podcast, the PFF Forecast, where uh, you know George Shahuri and I mostly talked about you know, gambling and things, you know, surrounding the league. Thomas and I are talking a little bit about gambling, but a lot of talking about, you know, team building and things like that. Uh, you know, the the PFF had grown so much, you know, during my time there that I was doing a lot of stuff internally for teams. And then obviously I had the forward facing part with, with gambling and fantasy football and things like that, both college and pro. Um, Sumer, uh, you know, great group of people, you know, we're, we're working right now on, on, you know, basically looking at how to help, roster optimization, which is using a lot of the stuff that I had worked on at PFF, um, you know, sort of indirectly. And then uh, a lot of the stuff that, you know, you know, really smart folks like Paul Saban worked on at ESPN, Sean Clement worked on it, you know, with the Dolphins and the Ravens and and, and obviously Thomas's subject matter expertise with the Patriots and the Falcons uh, and so forth. So right now, really working on some stuff internally for teams uh, in the future. Uh, you know, we'll do some forward facing stuff in our first uh, foray into there, of course, is the podcast. Uh, which you can uh, subscribe to. We're two episodes in. We're going to record after this, uh, the third episode. And, and you know, I'm really excited just to work with some really, really talented folks and, and continue some of the great things we did at PFF. Now, I'm sure that uh, some of it you can't really talk about because it's the internal goings on between you and some of the teams. But can you give us any kind of hint as to what some of the things are that teams are turning to you guys for? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit it's it's obviously a little bit under wraps, but, you know, I, I think you can all imagine, you know, they want to understand player value. They want to understand, uh, you know, what a draft pick is worth, what, um, you know, a free agent signing is worth. And then I think, you know, which makes it different than what most people are working on. Uh, you know, teams want to know that if I if I make this one pick, what are the downstream effects of everything else we're trying to do as a team and and so on and so forth? Um, so you know, it's kind of like a holistic approach and, you know, and, and me specifically, whether it's stuff that I've, I've built for, you know, uh, you know, linebackers biting on play action using tracking data or PFF war and stuff like that. A lot of that is compartmentalized in a vacuum kind of stuff, which is tremendous and has pushed football analytics forward. But I think what's cool is like the, the next question, which is how do all these pieces fit together? If I, you know, if I, if I try to run this style of offense, you know, uh, how much more valuable is a, a, a guy like Trent Williams versus if I have an offense with Patrick Mahomes and turnstile left tackle, maybe you can still have the second best EPA in football. So there, there are a lot of just really cool interconnected parts of football that make uh, this job, uh, you know, pretty fun. So, uh, Eric, by the way, I just, I just want to say I loved the podcast that you did with George. I, I wouldn't say I listened to uh, like every episode from the very beginning. Cause I think you guys maybe at one point started in the middle of a season. And so I think there were some early shows that I missed, but uh, I was a, a very loyal listener. Uh, so thank you for everything you did for the, uh, the printing press, not, not the syndicate now, the former syndicate, but, but the printing press uh, it was, it was a fantastic show. And I still listen with, uh, with George and, and Ben on it, but uh, you, you are missed, you are missed on that show, but uh, it's great that. to have you on the show. But, yeah, I appreciate so, that, and it was it was a yeah. uh, you know four and a half years. It's sort of like uh, I said this when I tweeted it out, but you know George and I remain great friends, and you know he and I are very different in a lot of ways. So I feel like four and a half years. You know, I took four years to get a, a, my college degree. I took four years to get a PhD. I spent longer in the school. I, I feel like I got a, a degree in being George's friend, which uh, uh, I don't know if <laughs> you know. This feels like uh, a long time. So you know, one of the things that you guys would 
always focus on, uh, you know, quarterback valuation, uh, you know, because as, as much as everything else matters, quarterback values the most. Uh, and there's a, a situation this week where there's a lot of quarterbacks in flux. So looking at, at Thursday night football, you know, there's the question of whether Jameis Winston is coming back or if Andy Dalton will start another game. Uh, and then a number of other quarterbacks, uh, Carson Wentz is out. Uh, Dak Prescott, it looks like he's returning. Tua Tagovailoa, it looks like he's returning. Uh, Mac Jones, he might be returning this week. And so kind of big picture question, uh, how is it that you go about determining what a quarterback is worth relative to, to the spread. But then, of course, that takes his backup into account as well. But so kind of the process of thinking about quarterback value in general, and then the guys who are in question this week, how is it that you value them? Yeah, it's a great question. Because like, you know, when when we made a number at PFF, it was a combination of a number of things. So we had the ELO rating that we built, which you know, if you look at R squareds in sample, it will actually it'll track with the Vegas number like at, you know, R squared of 0 0.75, 0 0.8. So you can get three quarters of the way to understanding the variance in the um, in the Vegas spread just by looking at this ELO metric, which only is backward looking and is really just like the anchor of all you know power ratings. And I think, you know, even it's sort of mimicking what a bookmaker who had like keeps power ratings by themselves is doing right. Like, Oh, this team's a minus seven, this team's a minus three. And, and so you add in home field or whatever, and you start with a number, but then of course, from there you have to refine. And, and we had, you know, something called opponent adjusted grades, which took the play by play grades adjusted for how good the opponent is because the raw PFF grades that you see, you know, on the website are not adjusted for opponents. So you have to adjust for that, that, was another model that came into the ensemble. And then there was a quarterback only model that put in there. And, and, you know, basically all of those things, you would get different weightings because we've seen a number of times, like when you look at like Dak Prescott's out on Sunday night football against the Vikings last year, and that number moves from minus two and a half to minus four and a half. And, and I do think, for example, that Dak's worth that many points, even crossing three, but at the same time, like, are you overreacting to that? Was the initial minus two and a half, including the likelihood that, you know, at least a small probability that Dak Prescott coming off of a calf injury was going to miss that game. And right. So there, you know, there were a number of games last year where closing line value would be negative and the, and the team, you know, with Colt McCoy starting, for example, for Arizona, the winning twice, you'd have like just overcorrections in the market. So it's incredibly important to ensemble because there are, you know, just if you just focus on one variable in football, you can often be led astray because there's so many interconnected things that that cause, you know, a, a number to move. But, you know, just in, in and of itself, and you, you can go to PFF and look at the power rankings page, we put like what we thought the point spread value was for every single quarterback up in the power rankings page. And, and that, generally speaking, will guide you a little bit. Um, but basically, we took PFF war how many wins you were worth, uh, you know, per 1000 snaps, because some guys get injured, you know, you divide that number. Now, a win this year is actually worth less than a, a win previous years, because scoring is at, at as low as it's been in a long time. But generally speaking, you take like the number of points a uh, player was worth, uh, or a number of wins a player was worth per season, divide that by 40, or, you know, for a normal season, that would give you kind of an idea. And then you would adjust based upon that, because there are you know, obvious, I, I think, places where like a place like PFF War would be wrong. Take, for example, uh, a Jimmy Garoppolo type player uh, who I think is more than the sum of the parts or or, or less, you know, it, or you take a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who I think if you take him off that Kansas City team, you know, Andy Reid, as he did with Matt Moore a couple of times, you'd probably still get better than you'd think, weirdly, even though Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the league. Uh, so there, there are a number of different instances there where, you know, you, you have to adjust manually and, and, you know, the folks still at PFF do that. Guys, real quick, I want to talk to you about Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. My friends and I changed over this year and I absolutely love it. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. For example, rushing yards in a football game or number of points in a basketball game. Then, choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. 
The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my friends' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my group's picks with the tap of a button, along with Over Under integrated into the fantasy experience itself. It's insanely fun to ride it out together, so stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new Over Under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Use the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for a Sleeper account today and Sleeper will automatically credit your account $100 to get you started. Terms and conditions apply. See sleeper.com for details. Okay, so some of the the quarterbacks this week who are in question, I'm wondering if, so say like Dak Prescott, when he went out and we had a new quarterback, Cooper Rush, coming in for week two, I adjusted projections down for us internally by five points. And that was, uh, I think, a, a fairly standard adjustment that, you know, I was looking at other places, some of the adjustments that they made. But someone like Dak Prescott, what do you think that he is worth to the spread and some of the the other quarterbacks who might or might not be playing this week? Yeah, so we we had Dak at six points. We might, you know, that and, and you know, obviously the other variable is how much Cooper Rush is worth over replacement. I think... Um, you know, we had Cooper Rush initially as a replacement player because, you know, they cut him right before right. the season and had him on the practice squad. So he was almost the definition of that. Now, executing that offense, I don't know. I got a lot of flack this year for saying Kellen Moore was a top five play caller, but it's very clear that like he does shine at five and one uh, record with with Cooper Rush as the, as the quarterback. Um, so maybe, you know, now say I would I would say Dak Prescott is still six points above a replacement quarterback, but maybe you know, to get to your five points, I think Cooper Rush is maybe one point above what uh, what we would perceive to be a practice squad quarterback to be to get you those five points. There's also the the weirdnesses of which numbers you're crossing. So, you know, last season, the, the big one was, you know, the Vikings were seven point underdogs, uh, you know, against Green Bay in Lambeau Field on that Sunday night. Kirk Cousins gets COVID. They have to go with Sean Mannion. That went from seven to 13. But if you're crossing 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, that's not as valuable as crossing, you know, seven, six, and three on your way to a pick 'em, let's say. So it does, it does matter a little bit like where you're going from. Um, but yeah, for somebody like Dak, it's about, you know, six points is where I would put it. But it is telling. Like if you look at, like, for example, Pinnacle right around Sunday, that Thursday spread, they're hanging a number, right? Because they're basically saying the difference between Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston is basically nothing. Um, uh, I think with New England, they hung a number up there. They're basically saying Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones are about the same. Um, and, and and those are telling things. And, and and frankly, that you know, when we take those anecdotes, you don't get to see that many it that much. We got to see Aaron Rodgers gone one game for Jordan Love last year. We get to see Dak for a few games. Um, you, you sort of, you sort of use those as anecdotes. Now there, I was going to ask, actually ask you about, uh, the saints specifically and Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston, but you already answered that. So how about instead we talk about Bailey Zappi for a minute here, because as much as the Dak Prescott, Cooper rush quarterback controversy that I say with heavy air quotes, there was just Jerry Jones manufactured. I, I feel like watching Zappi play for a couple games here. Could there actually be something to this? How, how much is he really not that a fall off from Mac Jones, or is this really about one for one so far? Yeah, I think the weird part is is this might just be like a distribution aspect. Like I think when you have a quarterback that's taken at fifteen, the ceiling is just a lot higher, and you have a and and maybe the floor is you know low. We've seen like last year's draft, the tw- the two thousand twenty one draft, like the the floor for all these quarterbacks is incredibly low. Um, in, including Mac Jones with Zappi, you, you probably have the same floor and maybe not all that different of a median, but with Zappi, you probably have a, a lower ceiling. Now with Mac Jones, you weren't getting that ceiling with the, with Joe judge and, and Matt Patricia sort of tag teaming the play calling. So for all intents and purposes, like they're the same quarterback, even though I, I think when you think long-term about who should be the QB for this team, it's Mac Jones because whenever, you know, if he decides to figure it out or he does figure it out and they have the players around him, they can be a solid side. I, I think in with respect to this season where they're running the football a lot and, and you know, they're, they're, they're kid gloving the offense. I, I don't really see it much of a distinction between Zappi who is kind of like, I you know like, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but he's kind of a Kyle Orton where, like you can put him in and he's not going to mess things up if everything goes well, but 
you would much rather, you know, the Bears back in the day would have rather had Grossman than Orton in there, even though their averages were about the same. Grossman clearly had a bigger upside that he never realized. That 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 I think is kind of the same thing here, where you know Mac Jones isn't great, but if everything hits, that draft capital being the fifteenth pick, I think you'd prefer that over a guy whose draft capital is much weaker. How about this weekend's game in particular? Because they're obviously they're playing the Bears on Monday night. It's still up in the air right now with the extra day if Mac Jones is going to be able to come in. This line is sitting at eight. Do you see it moving in any way once we get an affirmative one way or the other? Again, also with Bill Belichick, we might just not get an affirmative until someone walks out on the field. Right. And the question is, is like all these things move in, in certain directions. Like I think the narrative right now is that like Bill Belichick is going to beat the, the heck out of a, a young quarterback. Right. And so you've seen that number open around seven. It moved out to eight. And I think almost all of that has to do with the narratives associated with Belichick against young quarterbacks, Belichick against bad offenses, more so than it is Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi. But I, I, I also think that there's probably a little bit of trust in the process of Bill Belichick saying, look, we don't know who the quarterback is, but we know that the best coach of all time is going to pick the better of the two guys. And we, he's done it repeatedly. Um, so, you know, basically what they're probably putting in as a placeholder is the quarterback for the Patriots on Monday night is going to be the better of the two players at the time. And that's worth maybe a half a point in New England's direction. You know, it's interesting. So you mentioned um, that this line had opened maybe around seven, and we even look, you know, further back in the past in the preseason, that number was six. On the look ahead, it was six and a half, and then it's continued to move that direction. We've also seen similar movement in that way uh, with uh, looking at Tampa Bay and Carolina, just a, a totally disgusting game. But this number in the preseason, or sorry, in the offseason was around five and a half. Uh, on the look ahead, it was nine and a half. It opened on the early line at 10, and now it's at 11. And there's just so much that has gone wrong with Tampa Bay this year, but even so much more that has gone wrong with Carolina. Yeah. Uh, how is it that you are reading the market movement over the past months that we've seen from that original you know, offseason number of five to where we are now? Well, I think everybody is sort of open to the idea in the offseason that Carolina was going to have some sort of upgrade at quarterback over Sam Darnold. And, you know, when Baker Mayfield came in, we all had we, we were you saying, OK, you know, he's injured last year. The prior season, he wasn't great. But, he, you know, I put him, you know, Mayfield at about a three and a half points above replacement. Now, seeing as how he's played, he's probably more like one or two points above replacement. So you, you get a movement fundamentally in who Mayfield was. Right. And then from there, you have Philip Walker, who last week, you know, was basically a replacement level quarterback, not only in ability, but also in what they asked him to do, which was hardly anything. Um, and, and so I, I think you move a little bit more in that direction. You lose Robbie Anderson. I also think you you get some downstream effects from what that looks like for Robbie Anderson relative to the other teams as well. And then you take a look at Tampa and. You know, Tampa sucked on, on Sunday, but they moved the football okay. Like, it wasn't like they were punting from their own 20 every time. They got some field goals. They got some, you know, um, you know, they, they did move the ball okay to a certain extent. They are getting healthier. And, and I think, like, you know, that that's really where it is. And there's also a desperation factor. They're 500 um, in, a, in a division that we all thought every team would stink. And Atlanta sitting there at three and three randomly and also six and oh against the spread. So I think that there's also like a whether it's real or not, like a desperation move as well in that number where Tampa's got to win this football game uh, to, to keep pace um, with, with Atlanta and also with, you know, everybody in the NFC, but Philadelphia. So that, that I think is also baked in there. I think it's less about maybe the fundamentals and more about just the spot uh, for people bet, betting Tampa here. All right, you know yeah. what? Actually, sorry, I have I have a follow-up. This is this is a well, good question, ahead, Tom. This is actually gonna be a good question. Okay, so we're you mentioned the the kind of the desperation factor that mm -hmm. maybe has attached itself to Tampa Bay and has helped drive the spread towards them, uh, you know, off of the key number of 10. And I mean, who knows by the time game time gets here. Uh, you know, depending on who's starting for the Panthers, depending on whether anyone else has been traded, this this number might be closer to 14, right? Like that, that is possible just based on things that could unfold over the rest of the week. Now, uh, I you know have done a historical survey of different like different numbers, you know, like when it makes sense to bet something on the spread versus the money line. Now, 
obviously you would never say like, okay, I'm going to put multiple units on a heavy favorite to make up for the fact that I'm betting the money line instead of the spread. But it seems as if there are certain thresholds above which it is reasonable to assume. I'm trying to think of the right way of phrasing this. The the odds that we normally see in the market, like the correlated odds between money line and spread, that those are not actually representative of what realistically happens within a football game, at least based on historical data, that teams who are maybe massive, massive favorites, they don't always cover, obviously, but a lot of them win at a higher rate than what you would expect based on the implied odds of the money line. And normally how we think of those odds correlated to the spread. So I guess I'm asking, uh, does that kind of does that align with some of your with some of your thoughts, or do you think I'm totally wrong in thinking that there are times when it actually makes sense, not like to put a large amount of money, but like to bet a unit instead of betting a unit on the spread where there isn't any value, there actually is some value on the money line. Yeah, I think a lot of that ends up being you know lost in the wash when you think about like you know, let's say you want to, you know, take a, you know, whether or not you want to lay minus three with a team or take like minus 150 on the money line. I think, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, and I'm fine with laying minus, you know, 150 or so on a team, um, especially, you know, and I know this isn't about college football, but like when I'm looking at a college game and I know the points are just worth less, um, you know, I might lay, I might be more likely to lay three in a college game than I would be in an NFL game, knowing how close the games are and how much more the points are worth. Um, you know, in an NFL game versus a college game, but you could, you know, it, it, it also depends. Like if a game's, you know, lined minus 10 or something and, you know, the total is in the thirties, like you, it's a different handicap than if the yeah. game's lined, lined minus 10 and, and the totals in the fifties. And, and so, yeah, there, there, there are certainly edge cases there. I would say over a huge sample, you're probably going to get the same return, whether or not you bet, you know, you lay, the, the money line with the team versus the the points. Um, but, but I think in certain circumstances, you look at a game like this and it's like, what are the incentives for the team? Is there a huge incentive for Tampa Bay after all they've proved won a Super Bowl, um, you know, you know, got the two seed last year, uh, you know, Tom Brady being 45, like, do they, do they really need to beat the crap out of, of Carolina or do they just need to win this football game? I do think that there are um, certainly, uh, you know, certainly situations that, that, you know, are, are important there. Kansas city, for example, in 2020, they went 14 and one in games that mattered and they didn't cover a game for the last like seven or eight games of the year. And in fact, they won five road games that year against teams that won 10 games or more. So they were just, you know, just win baby. Like they got backdoored by the saints that year. They got backdoored by the dolphins that year. They got backdoored, I think by um, Tampa Bay uh, when they actually won that game that year. Um, so there are situations, I think, where you have to look at the incentives. And maybe this is one where Brady and the Bucks, like, look, they, they look horrible. It is a 21 point win against Carolina really going to take our, you know, make us all that more confident in them? No. OK, so win the game. Right. That kind of thing. I don't know if that is actually what goes into their mind, which is why I think over the course of a big sample, you're just better off. Um, if you like money lines, just bet money lines. If you like spread, just bet spreads. And, and there are going to be, and you can look at places like BetStamp for this or Fantasy Pros for this, where you know you just see like the misalignment, right? And the best available number might be a money line, and it might just be a, a dull book that that hasn't moved yet. Um, you know, just take the best available price type of thing. But yeah, um, I, I think you have a point to a certain extent. And it is important to mention with that, especially maybe not when you get up to the. 14 level but if you're looking at a game that's say one and a half two and a half you you can do the calculations like there is a numerical value of three uh, two minus two and a half at minus 110 is the equivalent to this price money line and if you have a better price than that on the money line the answer is take the money line and if the price is better on the spread obviously the answer is to take the spread that's that's how i like to look at it with those smaller spreads when i'm trying to decide between money line and spread yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's it really is about, you know, it really is about just maximizing profit. Right. And and I think, you know, over time, you know, football is such a small sample game that, again, you're looking once you enlarge the sample, obviously, you can get statistical power with that. But 
you're also going to ignore the very real things that are happening in a football team, much like I, you know, with the 2020 Chiefs, where it was just like, let's just get out of these games with W's. Let's not worry if if every single game is minus nine and a half. It's just like, you know, maybe that isn't a, you know, uh, something to bet. The other the other tool you have in the toolbox as a better are also alts, right? So, yeah. you know, for example, if you want to if you want to take down, maybe you don't want to bet Tampa Bay money line, but maybe you want to bet them minus five and a half, and just be like. You know, lay a you know lay a bigger price there, or bet them minus nineteen and a half and get some more. Like there, there are certain situations. I remember last year when the when the Chiefs played the Raiders in Vegas on Sunday night. Like I just I was like, look, this is a minus two and a half. I could totally see them losing this game, but I do think if they win, they're going to hit on all cylinders. So let's bet minus six and a half at a big at a big payoff. Let's bet minus nine and a half at a big payoff, and, and so on. So that's another tool that you have. You know, you don't just have to bet the spread as it's given to you at minus 110. That's very true. And I like the thought process there because I've definitely had that same thought of saying, oh, hey, this game seems pretty close. But in the same vein, if they're going to win it, they're going to beat the brakes off of them or they're going to lose it. So let's bet it the other way. One game that is very interesting this week, though, especially after the market movement from last night, the Jets and Denver Moved from three and a half in the look ahead. It's two and a half now. It was three uh, in most shops before Denver played on Monday night here. As a Jets fan especially, this feels like the the letdown spot has to be coming. And now I believe in this team and I'm looking at this game. I was I, I understand the home field advantage Denver has just by being in Denver. But this this Broncos team, they do not look good right now. And it seems like every week Russell Wilson is just having a bad game and then coming around and saying, Oh, well, I have this injury now what's going on in Denver. And do you think that this line should maybe continue moving uh, in the direction it is towards the jets? It's so weird. Cause this is just not a, this is not an offense that is, that is well posed for Russell Wilson. So last season PFF would, you know, uh, folks at PFF started charting like off ball stuff. And you could look at like percentage of plays where at least one wide receiver got open. And last year, the Seattle Seahawks were a bottom five team in that metric. And Russell Wilson was a top five player in terms of hitting open receivers, meaning, you know, they weren't getting open better than other teams, but Russell was able within that offense to find the open guy. And so what was really funny was, Denver last season was the opposite. They had a top five rate in terms of percentage of plays where at least one receiver would get open, but they were bottom, you know, Bridgewater and Locke would throw to contested guys a lot. So you're like, okay, this is perfect. Russell's really good at this. And you realize that it's like, well, no, Russell's Wilson's not good at throwing the ball in front of his face. Like he's not good at throwing to the, you know, to the places where Jerry Judy gets open. And we saw that a few times yesterday where he just was not able to let it rip. Maybe he's not physically able to, but whatever. You come back and you look at the Jets, like, what do they have? They have a corner who's able to shut down one of the players on the other team. So not only are the players that are usually getting open in the wrong spots going to be less open, but also Wilson is, is in addition, sort of, you know, survivorship biasing that in that he's not even, like, finding the guys who are getting open either. So, you know, the Jets aren't a great football team. I don't think there are that many great football teams. But I, do I think they match up okay? Yeah, I think they match up okay. I think that they're, you know, physically there with Reed and with and, and with Sauce and, you know, the safety position uh, has gotten better the offseason. They got Mosley back who, you know, is, isn't a great linebacker but can really get people lined up. And then when you have Lawson and guys like, uh, you know, even, you know, Lawson has been terrific so far and, and they really missed him last year. I, I think that they're going to struggle to score. The question is, is like how much of the Jets offense – can they muster? Because last week was all about you know special teams and short fields and stuff like that. Wilson hasn't been great, especially when under pressure. I think his pass rating is like worse than just grounding the ball when under pressure this year. Uh, and Denver can put heat on the quarterback. So if I'm looking at this game, I do think it's more of like a very low scoring coin flippy type of game where points one, two and three are worth a lot. I saw a chart today and I'm trying to find it on the Twitterverse. I'm not having any luck. Wilson but. was in like the bottom right corner where like on, on good play on plays where he's not pressured. He's generating a ton of EPA on plays where he's pressured. He's, he's, he's dumping a lot of EPA. So um, if you're, you know, Mike LaFleur, um, you know, you're, you're really going to have to dial up the bootlegs and the, and that kind of thing, but they have the players. I mean, uh, Garrett Wilson was a great draft pick. Uh, you know, they, the, the tight ends are okay for them as well. And, and then obviously the running back position, Brees Hall is playing better, um, you know, than, than people even, I, I think, believed he could. So th- there's meat on the bone for the Jets offense. But, 
you know, the 27 points they scored in Lambeau, I think are not necessarily reflective of how good they are offensively. The Jets do have the the favorites for both offensive and defensive rookie of the year are both Jets. What on earth is going on right now? But Matt, what game do you want to talk about next year? Yeah, I want to ask Eric about Detroit and Dallas because, you know, uh, Eric is very much on the restore the roar bandwagon. I am a Cowboys fan who hates the Cowboys. Uh, the thing is, I, I'm looking at them. I am incorporating the likelihood, I would say, of Dak returning to action this week. I think in terms of power ratings, they cleanly belong in the top eight in the league. I have them higher than that. I actually have them number four in my power ratings. And like in my gut, that feels aggressive, but they've got a really good defense that last year I felt was a little bit fraudulent, but this year has uh, proven itself to be very real. And now they have their starting quarterback returning. Uh, So I think of them as a very good team that said, uh, you know, Entering the year, I was higher on the Lions than I think a lot of people were. I haven't moved them down really all that much in my power ratings. Uh, You know, they had some injuries. Uh, I know there have been things that haven't been great. Their defense is horrible, but their offense is really good and they're coming off of a bye. So I actually, I do have the Lions showing value in this spot. I, I think this line should be five and a half. It's seven right now. But, you know, Eric, I'm curious your thoughts on this game specifically. And then, you know, Dallas, how high are you on this team given what we've seen out of their defense? And then specifically with Dak Prescott coming back. Yeah. So let's look at the Lions on offense. Um, you know, they, they're struggling on the interior. Ragnow's been injured. Vitae had surgery. Jonah Jackson. Um, they're going to get some of those players back. They're going to be healthy. Right. And, and Decker and Sewell are a good pair of tackles. Um, the, the Dallas Cowboys, they run more stunts than any team in the league, right? And, and I think five percentage points higher than anybody else, which is a ton. Um, that They pair that with Micah Parsons, who, you know, coming off the edge is a Lawrence Taylor-type player. So I think Detroit is going to have to be very sound on the offensive front. I do like that they're getting healthier there because – I think their skill positions are underrated. I think Hawkinson is a, a very good tight end. Obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown, when he missed time or was banged up, that really hurt that offense. Chark has missed time, and that has hurt that offense, um, you know, with Josh Reynolds. And, and you know, they're not going to get Jamison Williams back. Um, but DeAndre Swift has been – I mean, he, DeAndre Swift has averaged something like eight yards a carry this year and like five yards a carry after contact. So I, I think that as long as they can protect Goff, um, they should be okay on offense. I, I think – if you're a Lions fan and you're and you're hoping for this bet, what you hope is what you got out of Dallas last year when Dak returned, which was a sputtering offense, right? Where Dak Prescott is simply, you know, he's more of a rhythm guy. He's not, he doesn't have a great arm, so he's got to be on time and stuff like that. And in week one against Tampa Bay, they smothered him. Like he was, you know, I think CeeDee Lamb had like two catches on like 12 targets or something crazy like that. And, you know, they, they, they put the kid gloves on for Cooper rush. They took them off for Dak Prescott. And, you know, they went in Kansas city, scored nine points. They, you know, they had a few games after Dak came back from injury that were very underwhelming and, and it culminated in a playoff loss where Dak was very underwhelming. And so while I think Dak is a good quarterback and while I think long-term he's a great addition to this offense, they have to be careful this week not to look at a Lions defense that, you know, has some good parts. Like, I think Akuda has played really well this year. You know, they, uh, Aruwari is probably going to be back in the lineup. He's a guy that got interceptions last year, really struggled this year. Aiden Hutchins is a guy where, you know, Dallas is offensive line without Tyron Smith. Like, are they going to be able to protect there? I, I do agree with Detroit here. I've been a little bit, you know, they should have won in Minnesota. They should have probably beat the Seattle Seahawks. Like, I think that they're better than their one and four records suggest. I don't know if they win this one in Dallas, but I do think everybody's like, oh, they're going to get Dak back and the defense is amazing. Both those things are true, but I don't necessarily know if they work in concert right away. Guys, football season is here, and if you want to get in on the action, we recommend heading on over to our friends at BetMGM. The King of Sportsbooks is offering up the King of Promotions right now. Use the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for a BetMGM account today, and you will get a $1,000 risk-free bet for your first bet. That's right. You get a $1,000 risk-free bet just for using the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for an account with BetMGM. So get in on the action today, guys. Enjoy the football season, and let's cash some tickets together. Now back to the show. 
how about another game that's going to be pretty big up there? Doesn't so much have the QB controversy behind it, but I really want to get your thought on the San Francisco 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. There's clear improvement from when Trey Lance was starting, but two and a half point, three point dogs now at home to the Chiefs. Right now, until this goes to three and a half, it's still my favorite bet of the week on the Chiefs. What, do, what are you thinking about this game? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is the Ron Burgundy of quarterbacks, right? He throws exactly what's called, no matter what. And that's why when you look at the graphs, right, there was the graph of, you know, a, a completion percentage over expected versus EPA. And, you know, Jimmy's always off the trend line because that offense generates a lot of EPA when he throws the ball, but he's not good at throwing the ball, meaning like they're just peppering the, the valuable parts of the field. And that, you know, that's going to lead to a linebacker getting an interception. That's going to lead to a tip ball that's, that's going to be a turnover and stuff. But for the most part, you know, they do do effective things on offense. Now, weirdly, and this was true back when these teams met in the Super Bowl in 20, 2019, the, the, the Niners offense running the ball is not efficient. It is explosive. Like there's, there's differences there. They can rip off 70 yard runs with the best of them because they have speed at running back. And the, the, you know, the, the plays that work are great plays that you get two linebackers in the same gap and all that, but play for play, they're kind of bad running the ball. And, you know, you look at the Chiefs defense, when they were at their worst, they were soft, you know, in, in run defense, in addition to not being able to cover anybody. They've gotten rid of that with Chris Jones playing at top of his game, with Nick Bolton being a real enforcer as a linebacker. They get Willie Gay back this week, presumably from a suspension. I think the Chiefs are going to match up well defensively with the Niners. Um, they get Trent McDuffie back, too, which will be huge, I think, as far as covering players. They had poor Joshua Williams, a Division II football player, uh, against guys last week against the Bills. So I, I do like them matching up there. I also think injuries to San Francisco's defense, they might get guys back, but those guys are always subject to being dick, you know, nicked up during games. Soft tissue stuff has always hurt the Niners, which is why you know since 20, 2011 they've either made the NFC title game or had 10 or more losses every year but one. It's because when everything hits, they're amazing. But when when things don't hit, they can fall apart. I I, I do agree. I, I think the alt spreads for the Chiefs are, are a good bet in this one. Like, I think if they win this game, it's going to snowball out of San Francisco's way. Um, but I, I can't see San Francisco winning just because, they you know, when the right stuff hits for the Niners, they're hard to beat. All right, I have a follow-up question on, on Garoppolo here specifically. And it touches on kind of a larger question. Uh, so Garoppolo slash Shanahan, but Garoppolo for his career, he's 16 and four against the spread as an underdog, just, you know, like general as an underdog. Uh, now, like Shanahan, obviously, you know, it's it's tied in with Shanahan. And I think Shanahan's like a, a zigzag type of coach. Like you bet on him as an underdog, you bet against him when he's favored. Um, and just like historically, like in terms of trends, like that has yep. been a profitable strategy, but Garoppolo 16 and four against the spread as an underdog. Do you put any stock in that? Or like when you see something like that, does it make you think, okay, I like, I kind of want to dig into the numbers. Like, do they, do they play a little bit differently when they are underdogs versus when they're favored or when they have a lead? It's a great question. One of the things that we try to do at PFF when we were building out Greenline was add a new feature to every model every year. And one of the things that we always found that we were struggling capturing the Rams and the 49ers against the spread for the reasons you talked about. And one thing that we built was this thing called scheme uniqueness, which is basically take, you know, the way in which teams operate. So how often they run 22 personnel, how often they run under center, um, how often do they run screens and like basically anything you can think of and look at how different they are than the average offense. And the Niners under Shanahan were like four standard deviations different than everybody after you looked at all the principal components. Uh, the McVay Rams are about two. And so what we found is like this signal is not as strong in the markets as it should be. And so when I look, and again, I don't work for PFF anymore, but I certainly look at the model outputs. It's why the Chiefs, when you look at, you know, they're probably what, like seven points better than the average team on a neutral. The the Niners are about three. Um, you know, home field advantage is not much in San Francisco. So you would probably lean Chiefs if it was minus two and a half. But there's always that little bit that that and and why I don't think they show value on, you know, a traditional line this week is because there's probably a half point just so for how hard it is for a team for teams that are traditionally in nickel. Right. They're traditionally in five defensive backs. Um, 
you can't play nickel against the Niners, right? Because they're going to come at you with juice check and, and, and Kittle and some of the other, you know, uh, they're going to put Trent Williams in motion when he's healthy. He's not healthy, but like they're going to do stuff like that. And it's just worth a little bit to the, to the number. And we were able to capture that with scheme uniqueness. And it's one of the reasons why we're hardly ever, you know, against the Rams, hardly ever against the Niners, because it's just a tough cover for teams when you only have a week to prepare for an offense and you're going to be playing in your 4-3 base that you only play 25% of the time. You're going to be in that 50% of the time against the Niners, and it's just going to put players in conflict that are normally not in conflict for a team. Now, another game here that we I really want to get, well, not so much a game here as a cluster of three teams. We have three five and one teams in the league right now. The Bills, the Vikings, and the Giants. One of these is very much not like the other two, but uh, ignoring the obvious answer, you know, who is the bigger fraud here? I mean, obviously Buffalo isn't quite as good as the Vikings or Giants, but of the Vikings and Giants, what, what is going on here? It feels like the Vikings snuck up to five and one even. Yeah, I would say, look, I think the Vikings are probably more real than the, the than the Giants are because I actually don't think the Vikings are playing that well. I And I think they have the potential to. Now, the last two years, the Vikings started poorly, one and three in 2021, one and one and five in 2020. And then eventually they reached 500 both seasons. And that was because, you know, their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, went from playing poorly, especially in 2020, to playing well. And that was enough to buoy them. But there was always reinforcements. In 2020, Justin Jefferson was not a starter, was not really playing much the first two years. They get Jefferson. They become a better team. In 2021, Christian Darrisaw, their first-round pick, sat out the first quarter of the season. He comes in. He's a pretty damn good left tackle, and that helped their offense. The hard part I see with this Vikings team is, look, they do need to play better. This is the worst that Cousins has played since he's been a Minnesota Viking, but there aren't reinforcements. There, you know, Adam Thielen has been playing the whole year and not been very good. Dalvin Cook's been mostly famine, famine, feast all season. The offensive line is healthy. Um, you know, maybe you could say, okay, well, maybe he gets more comfortable in the O'Connell offense, and that's the boost this year. But the Calvary is not coming for the Vikings, and they haven't played that well here. So They need to play better, I think, to maintain it. The Giants are who they are. They've had injuries at wide receiver. Um, Maybe that'll improve. They've had, you know, they've struggled on the offensive line. They've struggled at quarterback. Maybe that'll improve. Defensively, they've had guys miss time. Uh, Leonard Williams, for example, miss time. And at the same time, though, you look at that coaching staff and they're dialing things up. Like they blitz 70% of the time against Baltimore and and that worked. And And there's an edge there. I think the Vikings are being very vanilla. They're being um, and they're not playing particularly well, but if they improve at all with their schedule, they should be good. I think the Giants are kind of squeezing all the juice already out of the orange and they're five and one and a kind of a fake five and one. So I don't know if they can improve at all. So I think they're the bigger fraud in that way. But with the caveat saying, I don't know if the Vikings can improve. All right. One more question before we get to, uh, to Thursday night football here. So, you know, Cincinnati, a lot was made of the fact that they went to the Super Bowl last year, but a lot of sharp people, you know, entered this year saying they could even improve as a team, as an overall unit, and still underperform, you know, kind of general fan expectations. And then Atlanta, if I didn't have them power rated as the worst team entering the league, they were definitely in my bottom three. And you look at this game between the two teams in week seven. In the offseason, this number was 10. A week ago, on the look ahead, it was seven. It opened Sunday night at six and a half, and now it is six. So we have really seen these teams go in in opposite directions here. And I've been impressed not so much by what the Falcons are doing uh, or like in with Arthur Smith in general, but somehow this offense, even though I don't think it's that good, it's been good enough. Uh, what are you what are you seeing when you look at these two teams? Yeah, the Falcons are just run blocking a lot better than what they had been before, right? They could not move the football uh, very well last year, and it was all on Matt Ryan's shoulders. And we've seen with the Colts, like how hard it is when you put everything on that guy's shoulders to really have success, right? He's not at this point in time. He was an MVP at one point, but he's not a guy that overcomes you know difficult situations. Now, with Mariota, they're running the football on early downs. He's part of that effectiveness. He's not, you know, he's not having to drop, be in the drop pack passing game that much. And, you know, to be honest, 
I think he's performing extremely well. You, you add Drake London and obviously Kyle Pitts. I know Kyle Pitts is very frustrating for the fantasy folks, but he's a game changer as far as like moving the, the numbers on, on offense. Um, Cincinnati, weirdly, was playing before this week, before Andy Dalton carved them up, was playing very good defensively. It was just on offense where, you know, you know, the, all the stuff that the analytics folks, folks preach that, you know, sacks are a quarterback statistic. So you can get Lyle Collins all you want, but he's still going to struggle with that. Um, you know, they, they had struggled in that department. Now, last week, they only ran two plays from under center. They, they got away. Like, I, I live in Cincinnati. You know, I go to a lot of Bengals games. Nothing takes the air out of that stadium. Like, them lining up under center and handing the ball to Joe Mixon on first and ten. Like, nothing. And last week, you know, they got away from that a little bit out of necessity to some degree, but also I think got a choice. If they stick with that offense and, you know, just let Joe Burrow do his thing and maybe Joe Burrow learns to kind of avoid pressure, they can be good. And I think the Falcons defense is nowhere close to good enough to making them pay for some of his bad habits. But make no mistake, the Falcons offense has been good enough at moving the football to keep them in games. Like I, I would not lay the points with Cincinnati just because, you know, I, I just think that re- the Falcons are too reliably good on offense. Now, Thursday night is, of course, coming up, which means we have another terrible matchup on tap. But this one, at least we have some offenses that might be able to do something interesting and give us a primetime game actually worth watching this season. Plus, the Saints continue their run for a bid at history as they take on the Cardinals in leg three of six of the bird gauntlet this season. They've already gotten two legs down. Can they continue this run here? They're one and a half point underdogs in this game in Arizona, but... When you talk about scheme, Arizona and Cliff Kingsbury have simply not been doing nearly enough so far this season, and it's clearly impacting that team so far. They sit at two and four right now. What what do you make of this Cardinals team, and what are you looking at for Sunday night, regardless of who the quarterback for the Saints is? Yeah, the, the Cardinals are a unique scheme. It's just bad, right? Like that's the hard part about this whole thing is, and and they do a pretty good job if you look at like perfectly blocked runs. Like they do a really good job of actually not making mistakes. I think the quarterbacks being able to run helps them a lot. Um, but the receiver position is just uninspiring. You look at uh, Dorch and uh, and uh, Rondell Moore are two of the four shortest players not only physically but also an average depth of target in the nfl uh, among the wide receiver positions so there's not an imagination there robbie anderson might help them but you have to protect long enough for robbie anderson to get down the football field and you know even though the saints have gotten old and kind of bad on defense like they have guys that can get after the quarterback and, and you know dalton's played really well i think he's a top 10 pff graded quarterback he he's put you know the vikings on the ropes he put the uh uh, you know, he, he put the Bengals on the ropes last week as well. Um, it, you know, for me, I, I think this is this is a pass. But it, it, if anything, it's a Saints uh, you know, bet for me. Um, and, and it's probably Saints first half. If you looked at, you know, the Cardinals and how they've operated in the first half, it's been an absolute atrocity. So, um, you know, first quarter under first half, uh, you know, the uh, Saints, I think those are the only bets you can make. Um, to me, honestly, if I'm and I had a ticket on Arizona uh, against Vegas in week two, like, that is the only hope, right? Is they get behind and they said, look, Kyler, you're on your own here. And he makes a ton of, you know, basically low probability plays. That's the only way I think you can reliably trust Arizona. Um, I was off them early in the season. I didn't think their defense was going to be any good. Um, and, and they've kind of, you know, they've, they've kind of fulfilled that. Um, even though Vance Joseph, in my opinion, is a good play caller, like they, they just don't have the talent on defense. And then on offense, they're an absolute mess. So, to me, it's it's New Orleans or nothing, and and it's you know first it's first half, first quarter unders um, for me because I just don't think that team comes out of the gate very fast. You know, there is one more question that I wanted to get to. I, I jumped ahead of myself with Thursday night, but circling back to the quarterbacks here, there's one guy that we have to discuss. Um, ninth year in the league, Geno Smith, all of a sudden second coming of Tom Brady what's going on here with the stats is this sustainable for him for a full season and where did this come from were there signs we weren't reading there weren't signs I mean he was terrible last year in relief of Russell Wilson I know they covered two of the three games that he played maybe it was all three I can't I remember Pittsburgh they covered and then Jacksonville they blew them out um like look I think that you look at quarterback problems around the league you look at Rodgers um you look at even like some of the stuff that Mahomes has struggled with even as being the best quarterback in football possibly other than Josh Allen the thing that Geno Smith does is he trusts the offense he hits his back foot he throws what's called he runs play action he doesn't try to do too much 
And when you pair that with athleticism, that is pretty good. And an arm that is above average, in my opinion, like you can get good results. They got great receivers there. I, you know, they're probably very happy. They kept DK Metcalf, um, you know, so, and the offensive line, they got Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross in the draft. And they're both, they both look very good. And that was, you know, tackles. They never gave Russell Wilson in the past. So, I, I, you know, it sucks because unfortunately what's going to happen is he's going to get a big contract. There's no middle-class quarterback contracts in the league. He's going to get 20, he's going to get 30, 35 million a year, and it's not going to be worth it. But right now I think he's a very plus player for this team. And it's because he's by hook or by crook. He's learned the lesson of like, trust your offense because, you know, there are very rarely, you know, cases where quarterbacks can go off script and be successful. And he's certainly not one of them, but in a league where a lot of quarterbacks are going off script and being unsuccessful, he can stand out. He has so far this year. Now, Matt, how about you for your Thursday night take circling it back here? Yeah. I mean, uh, this is very cleanly for me going to the, uh, the saints. And uh, you know, as, as Eric said, if you, if you want to be on it on this game, I think it's, it's saints or nothing. I have this at a pick them. So, you know, not like a world of value, the difference from one and a half to zero, but Man, anytime I can bet against Cliff Kingsbury is a home favorite, I'm just I'm gonna do it. He's four and eleven against the spread in that spot. Like he's very good as a road underdog, horrible as a home favorite. Uh so I I think that there are actually um I think he actually does call a little bit differently, call the game differently, uh, when they have uh like a theoretical edge and they go even more conservative versus when they are underdogs and they get down and then it's just, hey, Kyler, go do something. And so like when Cliff Kingsbury is doing less, I think that actually is more for the Cardinals offense. And this feels like a game where Cliff Kingsbury is probably going to be doing too much. So I will be uh, very happily going against the Cardinals in this spot. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Eric. Where can people find you and the great stuff you're doing around the internet? Yep. So I'm at at Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, and at Eric Eager underscore. I do uh, do some TikToks with uh, with picks, um, uh, and then uh, my podcast, the Sumer Sports Show, with Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov. Um, it's it's supposed to be every single Wednesday. We have a lot of conflicts, so sometimes we'll go before then. But you can find that on YouTube, Spotify, uh, iTunes, all those all those places. But uh, that that's basically where you can find me. Matt actually also has a TikTok, but instead of sports betting content, he's just doing the latest trending dances. But if you guys want to find Matt, you can find that at Matt F. The Oracle as well. And you can follow him on Twitter there, of course. Eric, thank you so much for joining us here today. Guys, best of luck this week. We'll see you back here on Thursday to break down the weekend slate in full. But for now, good luck and let's cash those tickets.